right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Toll free, our number is 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Um, as we pointed out to you yesterday, now when Republicans do some good things, you got to give them credit. You got to reinforce good behavior. And the fact that all 50 Republicans in the U.S. Senate said no to SR1 or S1, that's the, you know, that's the basically the uh, politician's uh, uh, protection act. They'll work in perpetuity, but there's still power grabs going on. Um, for example, we're monitoring, we're watching the ever flipping and flopping and flailing of Joe Manchin. And right now he says that he's against ending the legislative filibuster. I don't know if he'll hold to that. Uh, Senator Cinema out in Arizona has said the same, uh, but it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's kind of I, I just keep going back, comparing Georgia's new voting law far more accessible than Joe Biden's state of Delaware. Where does he get the nerve to call this Jim Crow 2.0? And it seems like, you know, we know that, and we've chronicled many times, how every two years, every four years, that Republicans are racist, and they're sexist, and they're misogynist, and they're homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. Now I guess we can add transphobic, that want dirty air and water, and they want whatever Republican who's leading at the time to take a, a picture of grandma and put her in a wheelchair and throw her over a cliff. But now the use of the race card is pretty much every day. If you're against uh, getting rid of the filibuster, you do that. that's that's racist. If you're against having voter ID laws, that's racist. That's Jim Crow 2.0. You know, when you look at the filibuster, well, we went back to 2001 and Democrats have used the filibuster 806 times. 115 times last year, uh, 212 times in 2019, uh, t- in 2018, 123 times. I mean, 806 times. So does that mean for 806 times that they themselves were practicing Jim Crow? Because anyway, it's, you know, when it's convenient, they just flip and flop on these positions. They act like, oh, it'd be a disaster if Mitch McConnell did it. President Trump was pressuring Mitch McConnell to do it. Mitch McConnell didn't do it. Republicans didn't do it. Uh, Anyway, here's the Democrats now on the filibuster issue. What I mean by rigged is this. We have a right to vote in the United States that is afforded to eligible American citizens. But we have seen over the last 20 years a constriction on who has the right to use that right. We have seen it through voter ID laws. You can't get on the rolls, and if you get on the rolls, you can't stay. These laws are a blast from the Jim Crow past, and they have no place in 21st century America. Discriminatory laws and laws that were designed to suppress folks' rights to vote. Instituting photo ID laws that on the surface sound good. If you poll the average American, they'll say, yeah, well, well but in practice, it, uh, that's not always easy to do. At the moment, what's going on about voting rights is downright evil. With these unnecessary and unjustifiable voter ID laws. It becomes a poll tax because you don't know what form of ID the government will ask you. The other restriction well, that I... Well, a poll tax. It's, uh, how do you call it? How do you say it's a it's poll tax? It's a part of the poll tax. When they're trying to make voting harder and harder... Dealing with these voter ID laws, this is not about voter verification, this is about voter suppression. You've suggested that voter suppression is more insidious now in 2019 than it was even in the 60s. 
How so? We have always struggled with voter suppression. Republicans claim they're making it easier to vote and harder to cheat in an election. In reality, they're making it harder to vote and easier to cheat in an election. And we all know it. It is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. Why didn't Joe Biden lift a finger for all the decades or centuries that he represented the state of Delaware? So they want to get rid of the filibuster. They want D.C., Puerto Rico statehood. They don't want any voter ID. No, no integrity at all in our election system. It's I mean, you need an ID to buy a six pack of beer. If you want to go to the White House, you need an ID. If you want to go to the Capitol, you need an ID. If um, half the time you need an ID for everything. You want to buy a jewel pod for crying out loud. You need a voter ID. What's wrong with integrity? Barack Obama got elected twice, and there were voter ID laws in every state. Was was that discriminatory against him? Anyway, here to discuss this and much more uh, is uh, Senator Mike Lee from the great state of Utah. By the way, you know what I love about your state? I love a lot of things about your state. You have great skiing. Snowbird is one of the greatest places ever. Uh, And you have Crown Burger, which is one of the best burgers I've ever had in my life. Mm. Yeah, the Crown Burger with pastrami on it. Uh, yes, the, the crown burger with pastrami on it. That's the one. Yes. <laughs> Good do you time. go there? You do you go there often? We'll go get one. Oh yeah, of course. It's it's a fantastic. It's a pastime. You can't eat one of those burgers and not love freedom and being in America. That's such a good way to put it. So when you put everything together, why would I think there are five things we need in every state to have integrity in in our election process? And that every American then would have confidence in our results. Voter ID, signature verification, chain of custody controls. You got to clean up and update voter rolls every every two years at least. Uh, and lastly, most states have statutory language that say that says uh, that partisan observers get to watch the vote count from start to finish. Is there anything wrong with any of those five things? No, no, it's it's not. And look, if it's if a state like Delaware does or doesn't want to have any of those things, then they'll bear the consequences with their own voters and the integrity of their own system. Obviously, states like Delaware have chosen to adopt things like this, which makes it all the more inexcusable for the president and the president's party to be condemning states for adopting provisions that states like Delaware have had for a long time. It's absolutely absurd, in part because we cheapen what it means to engage in Jim Crow policy. Jim Crow policies, which, by the way, were foisted on America by the Democratic Party. But if everything is Jim Crow, nothing is. And they cheapen the concept of that term and the indignities that American citizens suffered under that era brought about by Democrats when they use it where it doesn't belong. How real? Well, first of all, do you think this issue is now dead? In other words, this is not going to pass in the next two years. Okay, so S-1, this, this uh, bill that is perhaps most properly referred to as the Corrupt Politicians Act, failed this week, but this thing is not dead. It's, it's been around for a few years. It's not going to go away anytime soon. They're going to still try to pass it later this year, which is why we, as liberty-loving Americans, can't let our guard up, and we've got to continue to oppose it on grounds that, uh, among other things, Sean, it, it make it easier for people to vote illegally, harder for states to detect and stop voter fraud. And perhaps in the most nasty feature of it might well be the fact that it would fund politicians' campaigns using your hard-earned taxpayer dollars. You know, I've had conversations with a number of my colleagues the last few days 
who, using the formula, the six-to-one formula uh, uh, that's included in S-1, have calculated that their own campaigns would have received tens of millions of dollars from the federal government in the last campaign cycle if S-1 were on the books. The American people don't want that. That causes all sorts of problems, including the fact that when the government decides to fund campaigns, it has to decide which campaigns it's going to fund. That's really ugly. So let me ask you about these other power grabs. What are the odds that they will eliminate the legislative filibuster? What are the odds that they will successfully pack the courts, especially the Supreme Court? Uh, What are the odds that D.C. will get statehood or Puerto Rico will get statehood, for example? Okay, so all of those questions are bound back up in the first question you asked about the legislative filibuster. In other words, they can't do any of those things unless they nuke the filibuster. If they nuke the filibuster, they can do all of those things. They're playing to their base right now, claiming that they want to do each of those things, but that they can't because of the filibuster, which they themselves are now hypocritically claiming is racist. I think it'll tell them and us a lot about what they do, whether they mean any of this to the base or whether they're just shamelessly pandering to their base and don't mean it. I'm not sure they can get away with it personally, but I'm also not sure that Manchin and Cinema's insistence that they won't vote to nuke the filibuster in fact saves it. There are tricks that they can deploy that wouldn't require the vote of either Manchin or Cinema. That worries me a lot. That's why we've got to be on guard constantly. What do you make of this bipartisan infrastructure deal that apparently there's that is getting closer to coming to fruition? which would be $1.2 trillion over eight years, or at least its current manifestation, $974 billion over five years, $559 billion in new spending. Um, you know, your fellow uh, senator in Utah, Mitt Romney, is a part of this group. Uh, do you support what, their talk, what the proposal is, at least now? Because I don't. Yeah, I, I don't have all the details, Sean. I'm always willing to look at something once they have the details. But th- let me tell you this. I struggle with the assumption that we should engage in any new spending at all at a time when we've been spending trillions of dollars that we don't have, causing inflation to skyrocket, along with what we're doing with the COVID-related supplemental unemployment insurance, which is in turn facilitating inflation. Hardworking Americans are paying the price for that, a heavy heavy price for that. And I strongly question whether it's a good idea for us to be doing any more spending right now at all, in part because this will bring about more inflation. I talk about this a lot on my website at LeeForSenate.com, by the way. All right, we'll take a quick break. We're going to hold uh, Senator Lee. We don't get him on the show often enough. We'll talk about COVID on the other side. All right, we continue uh, with Senator Mike Lee, great state of Utah. Let me ask you about Joe Biden, um, his solution to the crime problem. Well, let me let me backtrack because Joe spoke yesterday and let's just say in typical Joe form, he's struggling mightily to get thoughts out. Let's play from play his uh, struggles from yesterday. The blood of patriots, you know, and all the stuff about how we're going to have to move against the government. Well, the tree of liberty is not water with the blood of patriots. What's happened is that there are never been if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government you need f-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons police chief murray of the baltimore uh, uh excuse me police chief mary police chief murphy paul of baton rouge louisiana and means confirming my outstanding nominee for to lead the aft excuse me the, the atf 
David Shipman. They'll tell you there's no possible justification for having 100 rounds in a magazine of a gun. Like I said before, what do you think? The, the deer wearing Kevlar vest? Okay, so there's Joe Biden slurring his words, referring to the ATF as the AFT, at one point talking about the history of the Second Amendment and, and the blood of patriots before concluding that someone would need a nuclear weapon to take down the government. Um, he was confused beyond belief. He couldn't pronounce the word cognitive and couldn't even mention or pronounce the name of this, this individual he was struggling to announce. Um, I, I've got to be honest. Uh, in one sense, it kind of makes me laugh. But uh, on the other side of this, I know that Vladimir Putin and President Xi and Kim Jong-un and Iranian mullahs and radical Islamic terrorists, they're watching uh, the fact that he's he's a cognitive mess as we are. Yes. And look, there's a lot to pack, a lot to unpack in that statement that that you just played. I, I had not heard that recording. Uh, I think I do you, wait, do you see it. It's worse on video. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Good heavens. I mean, I, I disagree with every syllable he uttered there, including the words but, and, and the. Um, look, um, <laughs> Exhibit A there, for my reaction to Joe Biden's statement, is David Chipman himself. David Chipman, the same guy he referenced, the ATF nominee, is somebody who I voted against this morning in the Judiciary Committee and gave a speech against this morning in the Judiciary Committee because he's terrible. I mean, this is a guy who said a few years ago that he thinks we ought to lock people up before they commit any crime. I mean, setting aside the Second Amendment, even before you get to the Second Amendment, that's a due process violation. I called up my Democratic colleagues and said, look, if, if the shoe were on the other foot and you had a, a Republican president nominating anyone who had said something like this, you'd be outraged. Where's the outrage here? The fact that he's relying on David Chipman for anything is astounding, let alone the fact that he's nominated him to be the nation's top gun law enforcement guy. We've got to stop this guy's nomination. The president also reflected in that statement a certain cavalier uh, haughtiness toward all Americans who believe that the Second Amendment communicates and and guarantees uh, an individual right to bear arms, which, by the way, so too does the Supreme Court of the United States. He's reflecting this hostility toward Americans who acknowledge that that's what it says. And he's mischaracterizing it as, as saying that we need that to overthrow the government. That's a really unfair statement. As the Supreme Court has acknowledged, the Second Amendment protects something. It protects something that I described in a book I wrote a few years ago called Our Lost Constitution, in which I talked about the fact that the Second Amendment doesn't just go back to 1791. No, it goes back to the 1600s in England. This thing is very, very old, and it recognizes that citizens in a country like ours have the right to have arms to engage in lawful activities, arms held by law-abiding purposes, persons for lawful purposes. That's what it protects. The fact that he's mischaracterizing it as something uh, that, that people gravitate toward in order to overthrow the government, that is shameful. No president of the United States, no officer of the United States of any sort, let alone the president, should ever say such a thing, and he should be ashamed. He should apologize. Well, this guy certainly shouldn't be in charge of or the the head of the AFT, to quote Joe. Um, let me ask you, you've been outspoken about these requirements of the CDC that vaccinated people have to wear masks on public transportation. I had a, a woman on last night who's a nurse, and she was fired from her hospital. And now, she had COVID. I, I, we 
we keep getting lectured that we should follow the science. The Cleveland Clinic came out with a study last week that said if if you had COVID, you don't need the vac- vaccine at all. Um, she's following the science. And more importantly, if some people make a decision in consultation with their doctor or their own research for whatever reason they, they might have, right or wrong, it's still their decision if you believe in freedom. And now 153 people lost their job. And now the CDC is still requiring you wear a mask on public transportation. And Joe goes to a funeral of somebody and he's still wearing his mask, even though he's fully vaccinated. Now, if there's any vaccine hesitation, isn't it being caused by them? Yes, absolutely. In fact, what they're doing is they're disincentivizing people from getting the vaccine, which is counterintuitive, given that that's what they claim to want. When you take away incentives that other people would otherwise have, if they're told, look, there's no need for you to wear a mask in public, once you've had the vaccine, more people are going to get the vaccine. So this runs contrary to what they themselves claim they want. And it runs contrary not only to freedom, as you mentioned, but also contrary to the CDC's own science. They have yet to produce a single shred, a single scintilla of evidence supporting the idea that fully vaccinated persons need to wear a mask in public. They simply don't. By the way, I asked them two months ago to provide any evidence they have to support the idea that even children as young as two have to wear a mask on public modes of transportation. Oh, my gosh. You see these parents getting kicked off of airplanes? I mean, it's unbelievable because they can't keep a mask on their two-year-old. That would be called normal. No no two-year-old wants a mask on. Uh, Senator, it's great to catch up with you, and uh, we're going to be following your race out there. You've done a great job for the people of Utah, and uh, I'm looking forward to you uh, winning your re-election. We'll be following it all along the way in 2022. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Sean. Great to be with you. 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of the program. As we start with Bobby is in the great state of Florida. What's up, Bobby? How are you? Glad you called. Sean, how are you, sir? Good to talk to you. Very nice to talk to you. I can't push you enough to finally sell and move out of there like I did when I retired from the NYPD. Okay, Um, let me just tell you what I'm doing. I am doing exactly that. I'm preparing to leave New York. Wait till Cuomo puts in the tax increase. That's coming. You're all going to run. No, well, it's it's, it's even bigger than that. Honestly, you know, because I'm a a target, listen, I'm going to be very honest. My lawyers tell me that it's without a doubt, and we, we, we act accordingly. We assume every year my taxes are pulled. Every single solitary year. We assume it's gone over with a fine-tooth comb. I don't have one accounting firm that does my taxes. I have another accounting firm that comes in behind them to double-check their work. Because I couldn't fill out one of these stupid forms if my life depended on it. I mean, that's how careful I have to yeah, be because I'm a public course. figure. And I'm and I'm of not course. listen. I'm not complaining. I'm just I'm just telling people what my reality is. Of course, I just fully understand. So the reason for my call is I was part of the NYPD during the Giuliani administration under Bill Bratton, under Ray wow. Kelly, and yeah, we were there for the you know the kickback. I was a city resident for 13 years prior to that, living in the Great Borough of Brooklyn, and we were there. The problem today and this day, what again, you look at the candidates that are running, and I know you're familiar with it. A lot of the audience throughout the country is not seeing it all. The majority of the people that are in the city were never around for the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. So they don't remember what it was like and what we had to go through back then. So they only see the city now as this great bastion utopia where all the tourists come. And all of a sudden, now they're going to complain about every little thing. So they start attacking the police department. 
the leaders that you got running now for mayor, the leaders that they elected, all of these people are put into power by all these people that have lived there. They're the ones that revoked all of the laws. They're the ones that decriminalized everything we used to our advantage to bring crime down. And now you're front runner. Unfortunately, it's not Curtis because I haven't liked Curtis and met him a few times while I was on patrol. Unfortunately, now Eric Adams, who is out front, people don't remember what he was back in the 90s and the 2000s. Back, he stood side by side with Al Sharpton, who's his best friend, and called for the demise and the dismantling of Stop, Question, and Frisk and the police departments. You know, They're well, missing well, all of that well, rhetoric, you know, and then you look at Chicago. Well, if you, and I'll tell you, if you look at the coverage, for example, I mean, there's more coverage about the fact that that Curtis will end euthanizing cats in New York City, which is I'm, I'm fine with it. I love animals. I don't like animals being euthanized. And but you're right. I mean, all of the coverage is about the Democratic side, because the sad reality is, is that, you know, eight, nine to one Democrats outnumber right. Republicans rule. in New York City. And, you know, from your years working there, of course, even the, even the New York Post, which is pro cop, pro right wing middle. And I find them more middle of the road than right side. But even them, they won't acknowledge or give Curtis the, the support. They came out and supported Eric Adams. Again, he founded 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement and 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement that care. And he was critically, very critical of the NYPD, Stop Question and Frisk, Ray Kelly, and how we did our job. But he could never, never say we did a bad job because we went where crime was. Anywhere, and you said it, anywhere there was, that's where we went. Unfortunately, the entire group of people that now have flooded into New York City and live there were never around for any of this. So they don't know when we say the bad old days are coming back. They don't understand it. They think we're lying. They think it's a joke. We bailed out of there as soon as de Blasio became mayor. We were all, me and all of my friends were like, see you, we're going to retire and we're going to Florida. And it was the best thing we ever did. The best thing we ever did. What, part of, Florida you, what part of Florida are you in? I am just north of Clearwater. I'm about uh, 20 minutes north of Clearwater. On the oh, I know the area well. Listen, I love it. Do you go to, uh, do you watch Tom Brady go to any Tampa uh, Bucks games I, or no? I go to the Bucks games. I'm not a Brady fan, but being that I'm now in Florida, because again, I'm a I, I like another football team, but and no, not the Jets or the Giants. <laughs> did you <laughs> Did you being, see Tampa Bay Lightning and the Islanders last night? Oh my gosh, what a I game! Did. What but a game! That was one of the best games ever. One of the what One of the coolest things that happened this year is the Islander fans have taken over the singing of the national anthem. It's so cool. I thought that was. Awesome. That was, was one of the awesome. best things I've ever seen. Watch the Lightning game when they do their national anthem. The entire place is on their feet. We're doing the same. They are, but and they're not sing, They're not sing, taking over and singing. Yeah. The, that is uniquely. No, not like that. Not like that. I mean, I hope this. I I hope this catches on because I think it's a. It would be a loud message. Keep politics out of sports. Out of sports. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't care what you do like that. I just. I come to watch a game if I exactly. want to listen to political nonsense. By the I way, you, you probably like politician. everybody else. You don't care who you're sitting next to. You you have no. a shared passion with somebody right. you don't know. You you both love a, 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 a team. Uh, you're high-fiving strangers. You're buying a stranger Absolutely. a beer. You know, sharing your popcorn with strangers. I mean, I have a great time. So you're taking so the most what? unifying event and you're destroying it and poisoning the well by bringing politics into it. So stupid. Sports and music are those two venues to sports and music are those two venues to me that should not have politics involved because that's when you can disconnect from the realistic part of the world and just go back to saying I'm going to have fun and disconnect and not pay attention for 10 minutes 
and where we find exactly. that common ground. And unfortunately, people want to find and hold on to everything, the most minute, and call you out on it rather than just say, you know what, I'm going to look past that. We both like the same sports teams. Cool. What else do we have in common? They can't so do that true. nowadays. It's getting really stupid. Come on down, Sean, man. Let me tell you all what. Right, Bobby, it's listen, thanks for all your 90- service in New York. I'm glad your life, I'm glad you have a, a happy retirement. You sound happy. Retirement. I'm working down here. I got five years on down here. <laughs> 20 years, they have five years here. <laughs> awesome. Now you're going to have three pensions by the time you're done. I love it. That's good for you. Come on. I, come uh, down. The tax benefits are fantastic. I know. And I get my carry permit in a day. Thank you. Uh, all right, Bobby. Appreciate it. All right, back to our busy phones. Chicago, uh, Janine is with us. Hey, Janine, how are you? Glad you called. John, thank you. Thanks for uh, taking my call. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. Well, so I called actually because my friend told me this bizarre story. So we live in the suburbs of Chicago, and she was flying back from Detroit to Chicago last week. And she's on a major airline, which I will not name. And there's this young um, African-American man who is literally vaping during, before, the entire flight. And the flight attendants were well aware of it, knew exactly what was going on, and completely ignored him. Now, you know, Mayor Lori Lightfoot just said the biggest issue, you know, public health issue in Chicago is racism. Well, the problem is, is that when you don't hold people to the same standards, people start going, uh, wait a minute, why is this guy, you know, not being held to this standard? And I truly think that. So he was like, he was vaping like the whole time. He wasn't like sneaking a quick hit here or there. No, no. No, and I have pictures and, and she, that she took. By the way, I, I'm kind of laughing, and I got you know, I'll make a little confession here. I've been on a plane, uh, and you know, I love my jewel. I've been known to maybe just you know very discreetly, you know, put my hand to my face, uh, but you, you kind of can do it in a way where you don't blow out any any smoke at all, and it has no odor whatsoever. <laughs> Um, I might have done that once or twice. Linda, would you say that that's pretty accurate? I'd say it's a lot more than that. <laughs> Remember we had the, the long flight, everybody, the whole TV team, the whole radio team. We're on, uh, which was it? We were on Emirates Air. Where the hell were we going? Singapore? Uh, that like, time we were going to Vietnam. Okay, it was like 20 hours in the air. I'm not going 20 hours with a, without a hit on my jewel. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. Um, but you can like do that in the bathroom and, you know, but it doesn't smell. It's not like a cigarette. It's not nothing like that. Um, but if the guy's that brazen about it and that dopey about it, I mean, if somebody said to me, you know, don't do that. I, well, first of all, I'm not I'm not stupid enough to get caught. I mean, the guy's an idiot for just doing it out in the open. Well, I, I just she just couldn't believe it. Like nobody would at least say say something. I mean, as of this year, it, it is a federal offense. I mean. That's I'm a federal sure offense to I, take a hit on a jewel? Yeah, yeah, according to the FAA, it is. You're not allowed to have any Okay, I never did it my whole life. That's just a joke. Like that, that was for, for radio hyperbole uh, purposes only. Okay. No, the whole point is that I think, you know, maybe somebody could have said, you know, hey, maybe just, like, put that away. Or, you know, maybe that's not the safest thing or whatever. They just ignored it. No, that's but inconsiderate. I, I agree with you. But I do I, feel, like, overall, that there is this idea that, Certain groups, based on, you know, very superficial things, like whether it's your skin color or whatever, they're not being, that, that, that there's not an objective standard, that there is this very woke idea of, of making laws 
um, really subjectively applied. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And I think we have to really look at all the things they're doing. Like you were talking to um, the, your, the last senator, and he was talking about you know, voter ID and all this. If you try to say like a certain group of people can't get a voter ID, you try to say a certain amount of certain group of people, you know, uh, they shouldn't be prosecuted for looting because they have an excuse. You constantly make up excuses for people. And that is not holding everyone to the same law. And I'm sorry, but it's dehumanizing. It dehumanizes that group. It's like saying that they don't have, that you can't make that moral choice. I'm sorry. Let me me tell you something. They're they're not, the only reason Democrats want this is because they think they can cheat. That's it. There's no reasonable explanation. All right, I got a, I got a roll. Let me, let me uh, just uh, say, I've no, I've never taken a hit on a jewel on, on, a, on what was it, Emirates Air. Never did it once, right, right, Linda? That's right. <laughs> I mean, well, first of all, the guy sounds like an idiot. I mean, you could do it discreetly and, and not show everybody what you're doing. I don't think he's being an idiot. I think he's just one of those people who does not think that the law applies to him. He probably went to the Hillary Rodham Clinton school of the law does not apply to me. Uh, listen, it's not, it's not like um, I mean, it's not a danger to anything or anybody. It doesn't matter if it's a danger or not. It matters. No, if, I think you, you know, got to be considerate of other people around you. You don't. If they don't want smoke in their face, even if it has right. no odor, they don't want it. He's and, very lucky he wasn't sitting in front of me because I wouldn't. Well, remember, have we, were, we were we had our own little compartment in first class where you can close the door. I mean, but even still, smoke travels. It's not like it's stopped by anything. No, I'm, you know, you're talking about smoke. When I'm not talking about smoking it outright. I'm just taking it like an Right, but that's what that guy was door. doing. That's what she was talking about. He was sitting there like he was in his living room. No, I know. What an idiot. He was like, oh, hey. Just going to vape I, a I little. I mean, you know, the sad thing is, is, and then you're creating a confrontation. You're putting the flight attendants, you know, in a bad position. Because now they got to tell you to stop. Then if the, you tell somebody to stop something, then, if, you know... A potential conflict arises. And then the next thing you know, you make an emergency landing to throw some jackass off the plane and you just wasted three hours of your day, at least. Exactly. And they decided to ignore it and get everybody where they were going. Quick break. Right back. All right. News Roundup. Information Overload Hour. 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, we'll get to your calls. Bottom of the half hour. So um, I was right yesterday. The news broke during this program, but I wasn't able to independently corroborated i mentioned it could be a possibility because we don't like to go out early i mean i mean we take meticulous care to get things right we really do we work hard it's important to us and anyway so it turns out that southwest airlines ended up grounding flights all across the country yesterday and this was the second time this happened in 24 hours amid reports of nationwide computer issues And then air travelers, you know, were all over social media with reports of what airline staff were reportedly telling them was a computer system outage had occurred. And this is hours after intermittent performance, quote, issues. And with a third party weather app forced to uh, a, a similar group stop on Monday night. We are aware of the system issue and we're. Working quickly to resolve, we'll share more info soon. Southwest posted on their Twitter account as of yesterday. We haven't lifted a finger to to have real cybersecurity. And I can guarantee you the Russians are working on it. 
I guarantee you the Chinese are working on it. I guarantee you every enemy country in the world that hates us is working on it. And there's obviously a vulnerability here. And we're not doing much to take care of business. Now, uh, Joey Sippy Cup, you know, was asked if he thinks Putin was testing him with these cyber attacks. Here's a short answer. Do you think Putin is testing you? No. Does the government have to do more to force businesses to protect themselves and their customers? So I think the first thing we have to recognize is this is the reality and we should assume and businesses should assume that these attacks are here to stay and if anything will intensify. We should. That was Gina uh, Raimondo, who's the Commerce Secretary. She's telling us we should assume that cyber attacks are here to stay and that you you mean you're not going to stop them because that would be national security now that we're talking about being compromised i I can't think of anything dumber and president sippy cup oh i don't think putin is testing me no and what was that little exercise off the coast of hawaii yesterday just an accident it's it's pretty it's beyond naive at this point anyway brian finch is the co-chair of the cybersecurity practice at pillsbury winthrop shaw Pittman. Dr. Peter Pry is with us, executive director of the Task Force on National Homeland Security, nonprofit Congressional Advisory Board. And he was also the chief of staff of the Congressional EMP, that's Electromagnetic Pulse Commission, and on the staffs of the House Armed Services Committee and with the CIA. So these guys know what they're talking about. Dr. Pry, we'll start with you. Um, why? Do you believe that Putin is testing the U.S., Russia's testing the U.S., and do you agree with the Commerce Secretary that we must assume that these cyber attacks are here to stay and just accept it? We, these attacks are definitely from Russia, sanctioned by the Russian government, and they as much as told us that they were going to attack us about a month before Colonial Pipeline. I know Washington has a short memory, but if people remember back to the Ukraine crisis we had, when Russia had mobilized supposedly an exercise, but it had mobilized enough forces so it could roll over Ukraine and possibly even attack the frontline NATO troops in Eastern Europe. Even according to our own war games in the Pentagon, Russia can overrun Ukraine and the frontline NATO troops in 72 hours. So the Biden administration was very concerned about that, as were our NATO allies, and were demanding that the Russians stop it and stand down. In the middle of that crisis, Margarita Simonian, who is a spokesman for the Russian media giants RT and Sputnik, and is a friend of Putin, has gotten many awards from Putin, many medals, you know, uh, is an unofficial spokesman for the Kremlin, went on TV and said a cyber war between the United States and Russia is inevitable, that they were positioned to win it, and that they could do things to prove it, like blackout. Harlem in New York City or black out the state of Florida or black out the whole United States. This this could literally shut down every system we have. And and that means all of our national security defenses. You said something that really caught my attention, though, and that is you're saying, you know, that Colonial Pipeline, the attack on the meat industry was sanctioned by the government. How do you know that? Well, because the uh, administration's arguments, uh, you know, are that these are criminal acts by criminal organizations. You know, these, the Russian mafia is not independent of the Russian government. Uh, you know, it's a tool that's used by Russian military intelligence, the GRU, 
and by the SVR, the successor to the Russian KGB. And on top of that, we have Margarita Simonian, a month before Colonial Pipeline, telling us that they could win a cyber war, and there were various ways they could demonstrate that they could prove that. And then there was the attack on Colonial Pipeline. Why Colonial Pipeline? Well, it, it supplies half the petroleum products, not just for the civilians in the eastern part of the United States, but for our military forces, for our military bases on the eastern coast of the United States, which are the very forces that we would need to project power to protect Ukraine or NATO against a Russian invasion. So it's just an interesting coincidence that the Colonial Pipeline happened to be the thing that got hacked. I mean, I think that that was Russia demonstrating that, yes, they could win a cyber war, and that if Biden administration tried to deliver on its threats, you know, to protect Ukraine, to protect NATO, uh, you know, that they could do something about that by doing, by, for well, example, uh, shutting down the colonial pipeline. And, you know, and we're, they, we're paying the bulk of the freight for NATO in part to protect our Western European allies from Russia. And meanwhile, our Western European allies now uh, are doing more business and getting the lifeblood of their economy, their energy from Putin uh, and Joe granted the waiver to Vladimir to build the pipeline while simultaneously shutting down the Keystone XL pipeline. That makes zero sense. Brian Finch, how vulnerable do you believe the United States is to these cyber attacks? Hey, Sean. Uh, always good to be here. You know, the U.S. is pretty vulnerable. Uh, you know, I do think it's important to note that we have been doing a lot. I mean, the U.S. government going all the way back to Bush too has been focused on cybersecurity. The, the level of emphasis has waxed and waned, depending on geopolitical events, domestic events, et cetera. Certainly during COVID, for instance, uh, the focus on cybersecurity uh, has, has shifted or um, weighed a little bit. I mean, it's a matter of record that there was funding that was meant for cybersecurity products, and the federal government was shifted over to COVID response. And we can, make, we can argue all day long whether that was right or wrong, but it, but it happened. Um, but to the question of whether the U.S. is vulnerable, sure, we're vulnerable. Does that mean we're the most vulnerable in the world? No, I don't think so, but it also means we can't protect everything at the same time. And I think that's the question we really need to be asking right now, which is, you know, you assume that Russian criminal gangs, whether operating either at the direction or at the knowledge and benign consent of Putin, are conducting this latest wave of ransomware attacks. You know, how does this benefit Putin? I mean, that, that's the question that really needs to be asked in part because you know now you have US law enforcement intelligence agencies and others focusing on ransomware and they're starting to shut down some gangs here and there which is good but if you're a fan like I am and no endorsement but I've enjoyed narcos for instance watching you know all the, the story of the drug kingpins in the 80s you ever notice the pattern where whenever one drug kingpin fell out of favor all of a sudden he got cracked down upon by the Colombian or the Mexican or whoever government and suddenly got captured is Putin trying to do the same thing here? All of a sudden he's got some gangs that he doesn't like, wants the U.S. to do his dirty work for him, or maybe be like the solar wind situation where he's going to send out all these fake messages about, oh, we're going to hack the election, there's going to be all this disinformation, you know, there's no confidence in the election, and then in reality they didn't do very much there. They were too busy hacking the U.S. government. Uh, so you've got to worry about the old problem of Maskarovka, as they call it, the, the Russian disinformation and, and misdirection campaigns. And, you know, I, I feel reasonably confident our intelligence and law enforcement communities are paying attention to that. But the rest of the media has got to get on board, too, and not just blindly assume that Putin's out there to make a few million bucks from shutting down a meat plant or a gasoline pipeline, because he thinks much bigger than that. He's talking, he thinks billions and trillions, not millions. 
All right, quick break. We'll come back more with Brian Finch and Dr. Peter Pry uh, on the other side. 800-941-SEAN is our number. We'll get to your calls. Final half hour. All right, cancel culture, wokeness, uh, indoctrination in schools. The mob is after any and all things conservative in any way. And by the way, that even applies to our friends at Tuttle Twins Books. These books are selling by the millions. Why? Because they reinforce values of American parents that they know their kids are not getting at school. They're amazing books and for kids, toddlers through teenagers. And anyway, they, they look, now they're under attack. Why? Because they believe in entrepreneurship, capitalism, individual responsibility, love America. Oh, what, think, oh, the vapors. Anyway, Socialist Magazine writing a lengthy hit piece attacking the Tuttle Twins books. Uh, a heap of steaming garbage. Why? Because they teach freedom and liberty and responsibility. I guess, you know, when a socialist attacks you, you know you're doing something right. Millions of these books have been sold because parents love them. It is the antidote to the indoctrination that is now institutionalized in so many of our schools. Your kids are going to love it from toddler to, to teenagers. Uh, just go to this website, TuttleTwinsHannity.com. That's T U. T-T-L-E, twins, Hannity.com right now. And by the way, they're running a sale. You can get free workbooks as well. That's TuttleTwinsHannity.com, and your kids will love it, and you will love it as well. Digging deep, 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 deep. to expose how the government wastes your money each and every day. This is the Sean Hannity Show. Continue the threats of cyber breaches everywhere. Uh, we continue with Brian Finch and Dr. Peter Pry. Listen, I'm probably the, the biggest technical idiot you're ever going to meet in your life. This is not my wheelhouse in any way, and I'm the first to admit it. I guess the next logical question, though, is simple, is do we have the means to quickly uh, build up the defenses that would be necessary to prevent them from being successful with these cyber attacks, Dr. Pry? No, not quickly. You know, it can be done over over time. And the De define time. Attacks, uh, well, what's uh, time? A year, two years, the, 10 years? The significance. Well, it depends upon the strategy that you follow. Part of the problem is that we have a, a grand strategy that's doomed to fail. You know, the the, the po policy that's been followed since the Bush administration and continued under Biden, and you could see it in some of the in the commentary from the Biden administration you had, is that this idea of a public-private partnership, where the U.S. government is the junior partner in the partnership, and the national security responsibility is basically shoved over, shouldered onto the private sector, that's not going to work. It, it was, that's a that's not going to work. That's a, that, this is a national defense issue, a national security issue. You, you, you that, studied, right. and you were the chief of staff of the Congressional EMP Commission, Electromagnetic Pulse Commission. How real is that threat? Oh, that, that is related to this threat. You know, this is not about ransomware. This is about demonstrating a new way of warfare 
in which cyber attacks are the tip of the spear. But in a real war, you know, it would be followed, you know, by the use of non-nuclear EMP weapons to, uh, as an additional means of sabotaging our critical What would that do to the country? Ultimately, and ultimately, even a nuclear EMP attack, which is considered a dimension of cyber warfare or information warfare by Russia, China, and North Korea. It's not considered a nuclear attack, and it would, it would basically destroy our electronic civilization. It would collapse the electric grids, all the life-sustaining critical infrastructures, and kill millions of people. That was the conclusion of the EMP commission. And this is the test that everybody has been expecting the Biden administration to be put to by Russia. They're putting them to the test. And he's failing the test, you know. Now, the President Biden, I will give him credit that he has, he has, he is continuing to try to implement the EMP executive order that President Trump passed, okay. But there's another crucial executive order that has been suspended by the Biden administration. That's Executive Order 13920, which is protecting the bulk power system. And this executive order is designed to, to stop our utilities from importing transformers and SCADAs and other critical electronic equipment from foreign countries, particularly China. We saw back in October of last year that China was able to black out the city of Mumbai, a city of 30 million people, during a border conflict with India, you know, in part because India is very dependent on China-imported technology, transformers and SCADAs. You know, if we're serious about cyber warfare, we've got to start stop importing stuff from China that's so crucial to the operation of our electric grid and other critical infrastructure. Well, we believe, you know, Brian uh, Finch, for example, that uh, TikTok was a, a means that the communist Chinese were using to spy on Americans. Trump stopped it. Biden opened that door up. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, TikTok is obviously a threat. I think it's, you know, uh, it's a spying threat of all the scraping of information as a parent of teenage girls. It's also a morale threat for anybody who's ever had to listen to TikToks and, and all that sort of thing. But I would say, uh, I, and on top of all that, you know, what the doctor is saying about investing more in critical infrastructure, cybersecurity, et cetera, yes, we need to do more than that. I think, you know, Sean, I know you're a student of history and, you know, like me, a fan of World War II and all that good stuff. You know, what we do have to realize is that every once in a while the enemy gets through, no matter what, right? You know, even the Japanese were able to send some balloons armed with incendiary bombs that killed a few people in the United States at the end of the war. So, you know, where we really need to go is we need to go to a situation where uh, companies, governments, and people understand that, look, you know, we're never going to get to a situation where we can stop every single cyber attack. That's just not reality. But what we we can do, and you were asking this question earlier, what's, what's success? Success in this case means it doesn't really matter whether they get through or not. Because if we, in order to have a successful cyber defense, it's one where even if the enemy gets through and causes some quote-unquote damage, it doesn't really harm us that much at the end of the day. Like in the example of Colonial, sure they're able to get in and spread this ransomware which cripples systems, but in, in, a, in a really good cyber defense world, you would have Colonial saying, oh, we know it's only going to affect these systems. We can isolate them. We can shut them down. We can keep 70, 80, 90 percent of the pipeline operating oh. while we fix the rest of it rather than just closing the whole thing. That's how you've got to look at success so that Putin looks at it and says, I'm not going to get much or you know, the Chinese. Well, or the, the, the reality is, is you're both describing a level of vulnerability that is intolerable. Pretty chilling. I hope uh, our government pays attention because this is going to be our future if we're not careful. But 
Uh, we're just out of time. Brian Finch, thank you. Dr. Peter Pride, thank you. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. I want everybody to remember one thing. Um, and, and this is a pretty fascinating expose uh, on on it's sort of like a barometer of success because right now the new green deal socialists they're trying to convince americans everything is gonna be free you're gonna get free child care free uh early education for your kids you're gonna get free college you're gonna get free student loan forgiveness you're gonna get a guaranteed government job guaranteed government wage guaranteed government health care Guaranteed government retirement, guaranteed government healthy food. Everything is going to be free. Everything. Now, I say this all the time. Well, how have all these people making these grandiose promises, what does their track record teach us? Because if you look at how these states, that their number one responsibility is to keep their citizens safe, law and order, safety security so one can pursue happiness have they done look at any blue state look at any blue city and the the numbers speak for themselves the violence the crime out of control getting worse every single day then you look at well how's that social security lockbox thing work out yeah they rated it rated it and it's going bankrupt medicare is headed towards insolvency they didn't do good there either Those are promises they made. Same people, same socialists, same big government, radical leftists. How'd they make out with that Obamacare promise? Keep your doctor, keep your plan, save on average $2,500 per family per year. Every American, millions lost their doctors, millions lost their plans, and we're all paying about 250% more. Thanks to that promise. So, and then you look at the school system. I have in front of me today's edition of the new york post and it says right at the top of the page black families in queens revolt schools failed to us twenty seven thousand dollars spent per student for a terrible education the article goes on schools in queens are letting black students down fed up parents are protesting despite high pupil spending per pupil spending and only six percent of kids at one elementary school proficient in math only six per percent. How is that possible? How do you fail on that huge level? Families are fleeing to private charter religious alternatives. You want to know why parents are putting up with the, the PCBS and and Schiff, if you will, at schools like Dalton and Breeley and all these expensive private schools, 50, 60 grand a year? Because the alternative doesn't exist. Because then you're stuck in the public school system, which is a, an unmitigated disaster. Anyway, and it goes, it goes on to say that in this article, it says inside the piece, schools child neglect. And it, it goes an exodus of African-Americans over low, low scores. And they have all these kids holding up signs. Report card, uh, math skills, D minus, English, D minus, science, D minus, social studies, D minus. That's what their report card is. So you've got African-American parents in Queens saying that the city's Department of Education, again, $27,000 per student they're spending. It's a lot of money. Fueling an exodus from the public school system. Fed up families in District 29 
primarily African-American area, includes Hollis, Rosedale, Cambria Heights, and the Department of Education has tolerated these abysmal math and English proficiency rates despite high-per-student spending. So I ask you, now that they failed miserably in their promise to educate our kids, they failed miserably in law and order and safety and security, they failed miserably on Social Security and, and saving and procuring that money and Medicare and Obamacare, Here's my next question. Why would you trust them with anything else or believe anything else that they say? Good question. Uh, Mike is in Virginia. Mike, you're on the Sean Hannity Show. Glad you called, sir. Sean, how you doing? I'm in Virginia now, but I, like you as a Long Island boy, our, our similarities are ridiculous. If you went point by point, Newsday, you, I delivered Newsday Daily News right on through dishwashing, and I became a cop. And then I got injured, and then I retired, went into education. I've been down here for 25 years uh, doing that. I've been teacher for years and principal for 12 years. I'm back in the classroom. What led me to call you today was listening yesterday, the young lady from Columbia and her points about the indoctrination on the college level, which my family as conservatives, we've suffered through. My children have gotten penalized in school for their outspoken points of view. But I teach fourth grade here in Virginia, which is a fantastic year to teach in fourth in Virginia, primarily because of one of our curriculum points is something called Virginia Studies. Virginia Studies is like a survey course. It takes you from, like, Native peoples all the way through current day, Virginia. Civil rights goes through everything. It's a great course. And now we're being told, slowly but surely, they're dismantling it. They're dismantling the time we're being given to teach it, and they're dismantling the curriculum. And uh, our czar, Mr. Northam, is at the helm of this. And it's killing myself, and it's literally killing the, quite a few conservative teachers with whom I teach. You know, I, look, I, I, at schools now, it, I, at this point, I think the, it's sort of like we've got to get to a point of do no harm. The best thing we could ever do is school choice. Let schools compete for the dollars, if it's twenty-seven grand in District Twenty-Nine in New York, let um, let the parents have a check for twenty-seven grand and let them figure out where they want to send their kids to school. And I'll tell you what's going to happen: you're going to see schools emerge that will take on the public schools, and these schools are going to be be focused on the, the the important stuff, you know, like reading, and writing, and math, and computers so that these kids get the best education. Because I'll tell you where the parents are going to flock to. They're going to flock to the schools that do the best job educating their kids. Next thing I would do is I'd send kids to school in uniforms. And any kid that becomes a disciplinary problem, you're out. Goodbye. Stop interrupting the learning process of other kids. I'd instill discipline. And these kids should go to school, sit up straight, learn reading, writing, math, a little bit of American history would be nice, but I'm not even asking for that at this point. And, and prepare them for what the real world requires if you ever want to be successful. The ladder to success in America is a good education. And if, you know, look, I, I, I can't tell you, it's actually a passion of mine to, that, you know, I'm, I'm in a position financially. I've helped a lot of people out go to school. A lot of people. Because it's that critical, it's that important.
that if if you want to have have any competitive advantage in life, um, you know, and and if if we can't agree on sex education, and and you have some people wanting to teach masturbation to six year olds and first graders, I, I don't have any time for this crap. If you want to bring in controversial, divisive, critical race theory, I don't have time for that either. You know, make those electives where parents can elect to let their kids stay after school and learn all about the crap that they want to they want them to learn. I don't care. But stick to the fundamentals. When you become proficient at math, reading, science, computers, then talk to me. Learn the basics first. Uh, anyway, New Jersey, Moses is standing by. What's up, Moses? How are you? Hi from the mountaintop. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call again. So I'm doing very How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? All right. So, so Sean, so the thing I'm, I'm concerned about the most, right, I'm not concerned about us taking back the Senate, taking back the White House, taking back the House. So what I'm concerned about is how are Republicans going to fight back against the machine and the processes that the Democrats have created over the last six years that is effectively sabotaging and derailing Republican presidencies. You have Adam Schiff launching unconstitutional impeachments with whistleblowers who are not named, who don't even know the exact details of the stuff that they're blowing the whistle on. You also have Adam Schiff leaking the phone records of lawyers, journalists, and members of Congress. Then you have a media loop that what they're doing is feeding false information that's being used in front of FISA courts. You have the deep state that's getting bigger and bigger with people like Kevin Kleinsmith that's lying to the FISA court and unconstitutional and illegal warrants on presidential campaigns. Not to mention, you also have on the state level all these companies basically blackmailing all the people in their states. by. Let me, let me say this a little bit differently. You have major institutional forces in the media, in academia, um, and 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 other, the Democratic Party, big tech companies that are all aligned to advance an agenda. And the antidote and the answer to me is just like conservatives found talk radio, just like conservatives, some conservatives have a voice on Fox. Not everybody's a conservative. Um, we have to also become big tech's c- competition. We need our own Facebook, our own Twitter, our own Instagram, our own everything. Because, listen, Twitter, it's very interesting. We actually have put out a a number of trial balloons. And the trial balloons are simple. And that is that we'll we'll throw out a tweet. And in the past where so many people would retweet my tweet or follow my tweet or comment positively on my tweet, it's just a 99% leftist, hardcore Democrat. You know, they, they have now successfully chased away conservatives from Twitter. And we've tested this now numerous times and we've compared it to years past. So it, it is what it is. I, I'm not going to beg them to be fair. I'm just saying that if we want if if you don't like it, we got to we got to get good, smart, conservative, technical minds to build an alternative. And so far, people have talked about it. But nobody's gotten it done. I certainly can't do it because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I would I wouldn't be able to build such a thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But you know what? The one thing you touched upon, which is the most important thing, is that I've been a Democrat all my life. But when I started paying attention after Donald Trump got elected, it's voices like yours that helped me understand the conservative values I've always had and basically discover my political identity. And that, and I want to thank you for that, Sean. But now what my concern is is that with big tech 
basically shadow banning voices like yours, like Levin's, like Bongino's, that's going to be happening less and less. And what I'm concerned about, along with the previous point I made, is that Republicans are not in this fight. And once they get these gavels back, they need to be on day one. Let me tell you, there is a battle for the heart and soul of this country. There is such a philosophical divide at this time. I don't see reconciliation. You know, you either believe in open borders, amnesty, or you believe in secure borders. You either believe in energy independence or you don't. You, you, You recognize that lowering the cost of energy is in our best national security interest and financial interest. Um, you either believe in constitutionalists or you want judicial activism. You believe in lower taxes, not confiscation of wealth. You believe in less bureaucracy, more bureaucracy. You believe the government should create a cradle to grave, womb to the tomb, socialist, you know, communist, uh, you Marxist utopia, or you don't. You believe in strong national defense or you don't. I mean, these are very fundamental things, and the divide is great. What, what I've found about conservatives, once you understand it, once you and how simple it really is, once you see how corrupt the media is with their abuse and bias, you can't unsee it. Liberty, freedom, capitalism, our Constitution works. Limited government. Thomas Paine said, said, you know, government in its best state is a necessary evil, and its worst state an intolerable one. But lower taxes, less bureaucracy, secure borders, uh, school choice, energy independence, free market solutions to health care, um, law and order, safety, security, constitutionalists on the bench, peace through strength. That's simple. It doesn't need to get any more complicated than that. And if you have politicians, if they want to be rewarded with positions that they want, obviously, then stand and fight for those simple principles. Anyway, I appreciate the call. 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of the program. So our old friend Humpty Dumpty uh, went on, I guess, what, C-SPAN today. A lot of people, it's kind of funny. They have the conservative line. They have the liberal line, the Republican line, the Democratic line, the independent line. They got a million phone lines over there. Um, I've met many of the people that work at C-SPAN over the years. And actually, a couple of them are fairly nice. Uh, but poor Humpty Dumpty, he got an earful. Let's listen to this. Yes, I'd like to ask Brian to, on national television, admit he and his network are a bunch of liars about Donald Trump. This is Kevin in Princeton, Indiana. Good morning. Yeah, uh, Mr. Stelcher is the biggest minister of misinformation I have ever heard, and I'm a news junkie. He made the statement just a few minutes ago that he is uh, all the stories are always evolving. Yeah, his yeah. stories absolutely evolve. Brian Stelter. Thank you for the feedback. I appreciate it. Savannah, Georgia. Rick, good morning. You're next. Uh, yes, I was just wondering if you still feel like Michael Avenatti is the greatest thing in the world and should run for president of the United States. And my suggestion my suggestion is whatever CNN says, do the opposite and you'll be fine. Aurora, Indiana, this is Robert. Good morning. <laughs> You're on with Brian Stelter. You know, CNN is just something that's, it's 
a joke. It's a joke. This guy tells more lies, and Fox gives more news than CNN does in a what lie? Uh, what lie did I tell? Two years. It's not about lies. This is CNN. I'll tell you, we can start with the lie, calling the Wuhan lab a consp- uh, uh, of virology, uh, saying that, oh, this this is a, a right-wing conservative uh, conspiracy theory. Three years of lying about Donald Trump and Russia, Trump and Russia. They also lie by omission. They lie by omission by not covering, oh, Hillary's dirty Russian dossier you know, premeditated fraud, FISA court, spying on a candidate for president, uh, then spying on a president. Oh, but they spied on us. Yeah, okay, whatever. How do you hide Hunter's laptop from hell? How do you hide, you know, what how, the, the candidate protection program? They wouldn't even cover what's on that laptop. ABC, NBC, CBS, fake news, CNN, MSDNC. New York Times, Washington Post, not a peep about the N-word. There was no coverage of the partnership with Robert the Klansman Byrd and Joe Biden to stop integration of schools because Joe didn't want schools to become racial jungles or any of the other outrageously racist things Joe said over the years. Anyway, uh, here to sort out the differences, we have uh, Mark Simone, the host of our highly rated morning show on our flagship in New York, WOR. Uh, Also, Carol Roth, uh, entrepreneur, host of uh, her own podcast, The Roth Effect. Uh, Thank you both for being with us. I I mean, it's like a layup I'm handing to you. But on the other hand, Mark Simone, it's sad because, you know, I know everybody listening to this show knows that if anybody with the last name Trump ever dared to say the n-word it would be an explosion that would be felt forever never stop never ending coverage well you you can make jokes you can do all kinds of things but this is the most dangerous situation i've ever seen in america the entire mainstream media shut down no news coverage and can you imagine if they did this for vietnam the war would still be going on imagine if woodward and bernstein and everybody looked the other way on watergate this is it is so potentially dangerous that uh, it just enables these these crooks in the office to just do more and more and more. Why they haven't looked at uh, Joe Biden's dinner meeting with those crazy Ukrainians and what that was all about, or Biden's brothers and their contracts? You know, if, if Bernie Madoff knew that nobody would investigate, nobody would cover it, he would have just kept going. To allow Biden and the corrupt Democrats to do this is the most dangerous thing we've seen in years. I, I don't disagree at all. And it's beyond an information crisis. Uh, Carol, what's your take? You know, so obviously I look at things from a business and economic standpoint, and I'm reading these texts and I'm going, wow, Hunter Biden is so eloquent. I can now understand how he's getting these board of directors positions and these corporate executive positions because he's clearly a master communicator. I mean, it's, it's basically these, these texts laid out the fact that this is somebody who nobody would put anywhere near a board of directors unless he had that extra influence to peddle. And 
it's unfortunate. This is why people are so angry in this country is because there is just a blatant double standard. And on top of that, then you're gaslit about it. That you said, no, there, there is no double, double standard. We're being free and fair, and, and we're, we're covering everything the same. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And we've seen it over and over again. If you put those text messages in front of somebody and didn't attach a name, um, or like, as you said, put a Trump name on it or any one of our names on it, people would be outraged. They'd be calling for blood. And the fact that there's not even a peep out of it should, as Mark said, scare everybody. Do you think of, Mark, the three years of never-ending lies about Trump-Russia collusion while simultaneously ignoring Hillary paying for the dirty Russian disinformation dossier, then <clears throat> unverifiable, used as premeditated fraud on the FISA court, spying on Trump, the president, Trump, the candidate, etc. You know, it's just three years of lies, ignoring Joe's quid pro quo in Ukraine. Oh, Trump ordered protesters to be tear gassed for a photo op. Now we know it's true, and they won't even admit that. If you, if you mentioned a year ago the lab leak theory, we knew coronaviruses were studied at the Wuhan lab. We knew that... Uh, they did gain of function research at that lab. But if you said it, boy, you're a conspiracy theorist and it was debunked or Trump ignoring Russian bounties on U.S. soldiers, that debacle or Trump telling Georgia officials to find the fraud or that Donald Trump went to Charlottesville and and said, uh, well, there's the, that the white supremacists were 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 fine people. When, in fact, when you actually look at the wording um, it was very different. But, you know, Biden launched a bunch of ads on this, and we actually have played over and over again what Trump really did say. And it is, uh, you know, y- yeah, some, you had some very bad people in this group. He said, excuse me, didn't put yourself down as a neo-Nazi. You had some very bad people in this group, but you also had some very fine people on both sides. And you had people in that group. I saw the pictures. You did. You had people in that group were there to protest the taking down of a very important statue and the and the renaming of a park to another name. And he said, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and white nationalists because they should be condemned. He said it twice that they were there in the exact line that they purposely take out of context. Mark, how do you defend against that? You can't. This is total corruption of the news media. And you can't say this uh, This is normal or if it's ever happened before. If you remember, uh, Bill Clinton was president. His brother, Roger, was caught on tape using the N-word. It was covered everywhere. It was even on 60 Minutes. They confronted him with the tape. This is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Total corruption in the mainstream news media. Then you got these uh, Silicon Valley tech geeks who think they're suddenly journalists and news editors. They'll decide what news can be on their sites on Twitter and Facebook. And they've been wrong every time. They were wrong about the Wuhan lab. They were wrong about the Hunter laptop. Everything they've censored, they've been dead wrong about. Somebody's got to stop this, and I don't know who's going to do that. I don't think it's going to stop, Carol. I mean, that's the thing here. Now, I've always said it throughout my entire career, uh, spanning now 33 years, I've always said that we've got to become the media. Well, now we've got to become the media and big tech. And by the way, when I say become the media, they have three broadcast networks, two cable outlets that are hardcore, radical, new Green Deal socialist left. And every major newspaper, but for, say, the New York Post, Wall Street Journal, give two exceptions in in that case. There's a few of us on Fox, but a lot of varying views on Fox. And then there's talk radio, which conservatives tend to dominate. That's about it. 
But now we got to get into big tech and get our own Twitter, get our own Facebook, get our own Instagram, get our own YouTube. Yeah, I mean, and the worst part about it is the pipeline starts in education. It starts in early education with all this nonsense that's going on. And then uh, in terms of J school, they're teaching them to be activists, not to be journalists. So it becomes a, a really challenging thing. Uh, to be able to fight against. And as you mentioned, with big tech, the fact that they somehow think that they are the arbiters of truth, as we have a situation that's unfolding real time, how would they possibly know what the situation is? And it had real implications for people's health, for the economy. And so I think that the number one thing we can do to fight back is, you know, now we have to go and do our own due diligence. But as you mentioned, if we keep getting thrown off the platforms, it's hard to even put that due diligence out there. Yeah, I, I, you know, I just don't see that there's any hope. By the way, I know you have some kind words to welcome back Jeffrey Tubin. Uh, the guy caught on a, a, a CNN Zoom call masturbating. I mean, any comments on that, Mark? Oh, I'm glad you went to me on that. Hey, you're talking about Brian Stelter. The, the only honest guy who said anything honest on CNN this week was Jeffrey Tupin. He admitted he did it. Now, <laughs> That's true. Uh, I, I guess well, it's not, okay. He, you're saying he admitted. How do you not admit it? It's on a Zoom call. Hasn't stopped anyone well, before from it. not admitting things. <laughs> oh, man. What did you say, Carol? I missed that. I said it hasn't stopped anyone before from not admitting things. We've seen things in plain sight many times. I did not have sex with that woman, not a single time. I'm going to get back to work for the American people. Indeed, I did have an inappropriate relationship. Yeah, I remember very well. Sorry, Mark. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just, that's just too many. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. But uh, uh, I guess guys do that. But you, you can't get through a Zoom meeting at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. You, it, it, <laughs> looks like he just does this all day without even thinking it just happens. Yeah. Look, I'm not one of the – am I wrong, Mark? I've, I've never called or demanded somebody be fired. I just – it's not in me to do it. I don't believe in boycotts. I've been – you know, all throughout my career, people have put pressure on me to, to boycott. Now, I can tell you – like for, I watched the Islander game the other night when the crowd took over the singing of our national anthem. I love that moment. You know, it seems like hockey, the octagon, UFC, boxing. There's not many sports now that aren't allowing politics to creep into it. It's happening with Major League Baseball. Look at the All-Star game, the NBA. Look at LeBron James, Kaepernick, NFL. It's, and, and I think people are missing the greatest opportunity of uniting a group of people from all different backgrounds, all different races, all different socioeconomic upbringings, and they all share a passion. That is that team. Now, how many times have you been to the Garden Mark or uh, City Field or Yankee Stadium, and you're high-fiving a stranger? And it's like, it's the one thing that would unite us. Now they're dividing us in sports by bringing politics into it. Yeah, but I think they, Democrats always go too far. I think this time they're setting the world record for going too far. The backlash is beginning with that mother telling off the school board. Uh, you, you know, the defunding the police is starting to really frighten people. We had a mayoral debate in New York last night with a question. This is Democrats about should the police have their guns taken away from them? People are going to start to rebel against this. But the, the tide is turning. It's, it's just going way too far. Unbelievable. Um, I don't know. I don't see if I don't I don't know if it's going to turn back, Carol. Maybe I don't know. I, I, it's possible. I do think politically the tide is changing. 
I think the I think the country's hip to the fact that Joe does is clueless, probably doesn't know what day it is. I mean, it was pretty funny when Donald Trump came out and said, uh, "Yeah, Joe, uh, good luck with Vladimir and your meeting. Don't fall asleep." Everybody knows, but nobody else talks about it. I mean, Mark talks about it. I talk about it. Few of us in talk radio. I'm mostly like a lone voice on Fox on this issue. But I see a guy that is so cognitively messed up. Putin's going to eat his lunch. Hey, even the queen, 99 years old, during their meeting, she said, Joe, you okay? Joe, are you there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is really about um, the independent people coming together independently. You're not as a, a cohort, not as red or blue. I think that what's going to happen is actually green, as money is, is what's going to change this. I don't know if you've been following what's been going on um, in the sort of digital Occupy Wall Street 2.0 with the Redditors and the, and the uh, AMC army that are trying to get back at, at what they think are injustices in Wall Street, and people are realizing um, that whether it's the you know, crazy progressive ideas or just this, this move towards central planning, that you know, this isn't good. People don't want politics in every aspect of their life. They don't want it in sports. They don't want to be lectured constantly. And that could be the one good thing to come out of this insanity that we've seen over the last 15 months, is that people finally say, enough's enough. Uh, but people are tentative. They, they feel individually weak that they don't know what they can do. But if they realize we all band together, there is more of us than there are of the Joe Bidens and the crazy progressives. We got, we got we a hope. Opportunity to change. All right, Carol. Thank you. Mark Simone, uh, we always love having you back on. Thank you, sir. Quick break right back. Your calls on the other side. Straight ahead. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. Uh, all right, let's get a lot of calls in here on this Friday. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, Cindy is in Illinois. Cindy, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Hi, Sean. Um, I just wanted to talk about the fact that Biden takes the credit for creating all these jobs and, and employment going up. And I'd like to know what job he's created if one. Uh, we now have more than half the states saying we don't want your unemployment. You're disincentivizing people from getting back to work. Um, and all of the reckless spending, you know, remember all of this money, it wasn't emergency COVID relief. It was a blue state bailout and it was a down payment for the new green deal, radical socialism. And it's, and it's $6 trillion. Well, we can't afford 6 trillion, everything at the border, the inflation is his, the low the, you know, the fact that all these jobs are open that remain unfulfilled unfilled is is unbelievable and all he wants is redistribution joe's not in charge it's it's bernie sanders and the squad running the show right he's like a puppet and you know what else i want to tell you is there's something called the pledge of agreement to american workers that trump and ivanka um put into place in 2018 actually july of 2018 which offers um high-tech companies to there's over 400 in the country that are signed on to this have you heard of it i i have not see this is what irritates me trish reagan had it on in in 2018 and ivanka did the interview and i never heard a word from the media and this is a life-changing opportunity they actually have right now if you want to go work for one of these 400 companies signed up um, oh, you know what? I do remember this. I, I think it was around 2017 or 18. You're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I do remember there, it. There are 
There are actually right now 16,438,805 training positions available, okay? No high school diploma needed, six months free training, and this is life-changing for people. Toyota alone is looking for 200,000 workers, Ford 55,000, GM, and they need these positions filled. That's why they're willing to sign on and train people. So this is a very um, well-kept secret. I saw uh, a friend of mine in Georgia recently. He was up in New York. His family runs a business in the cement business down in Florida. And he said, can you help us? I said, what would you like me to do? And he goes, uh, my dad wants to make a direct appeal to police officers that are being treated horribly in other states and cities and and offer to train them to drive his truck, cement trucks, and pay them better salaries than they're getting now. Oh, Can you believe better, that? Sure. And I, by the way, I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm going to, to do this. I just got to get the follow-up. But um, I'm like, of course, I'd, I'd love to do that. And here's the thing. Enough cops have had it. They can't. They know they can't do their job. They know they're in a no-win situation. They know it's open warfare against them, and there's just no point anymore for them. And it's sad no, they're because un- they're unsafe. At, at this it, point, it's un- they start it, yeah, and police off the street. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. All right. Anyway, good call. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, you want to be a part of the program? Uh, Mike is in Chicago. What's up, Mike? How are you? Hi, Sean Hannity. I hope you're well. I'm and, good. Uh, thank you. And, you know, you do. I sound like great. Schiff all week. I'm going to really have to rest my voice this weekend. Yeah, I was wondering. But you know what? You do what you do extremely well. Oh, you're very nice. I'm going to make a claim. And I know and I have backing to it. This, okay. You've got to stay on this tax the wealthy, the corporations. People are paying zero taxes. Make them pay their fair share. That is garbage. And, you know, I'm not, I, I have George Bailey wealth, you know, <laughs> I don't right. have money, you know, <laughs> I chase people and, and I get their information. That's my wealth. You know, I'm, I by the way, can you ever forget the speech of George Bailey uh, to, to Potter, the guy that owns the bank? Well, they may be channeled to you, Mr. Potter, but to them, my father saw them as, as the people that, that work and, 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 they make this country great in every way, and, and don't they deserve? Wait for what? What they, till, the, till they can buy a home outright? They can't have two, you know, a few decent bedrooms and a and a bath. Uh, they were people to my father, not to you. I mean, it was a great speech. I didn't do it as well. I didn't do it justice. You did it just fine, exactly. You know, uh, that that makes people feel wealthy when they have that, and this is why you know. If you keep going after the rich and, you know, have the separation of peasants and rich people, you know, we've seen this in other countries and it doesn't work. We've seen it in other governments. The, the wealthy people are the reasons grassroots and foundations and food pantries and homeless shelters are funded. And, you know, I can make that because I service machinery and I was at the Northern Illinois uh, food bank and because my wealth is in jazzing other people and getting to know them you know that that's how i accumulate my wealth and i'm very happy about it um he tells me yeah they need food but if it wasn't for wealthy people getting exemptions and uh giving up their well-earned money and you know god bless them that they made millions of dollars you know Oh. You know, when I when I did these other jobs in my life, 
<clears throat> and I'm, I've said this on the air before. People don't believe me. I don't think fame is a good thing. I don't think it's a healthy thing. I've seen it. I've, I've seen the worst side of it. And I've seen people absolutely lose touch with it. Um, if, if there are any things that keep me grounded, one is my strong belief in God, our father, my Christianity, my faith. And the other is and uh, my strong belief in a creator. And my second would be the fact that I spent two decades plus of my life working at hard jobs. It kept me grounded. And when I started in radio, I didn't expect to make any money, Mike. But what I remember is this. When I worked in a restaurant, poor people can't go to restaurants. It's too expensive. And, and middle income people certainly do. Um, but I never got a job in my life from poor people. As a contractor, um, I never painted a poor person's house because they can't afford it. All of us in freedom, we, are, we, we get the opportunity to blossom. If you get a good education, come from a good family, and you, know, you don't get too traumatized. Life is tough. Everybody will face obstacles in life. I don't care what your financial status is. It's, you just, it's just, that's life, man. You got to suck it up, and you got to work hard, and you got to do things you don't want to do. But my point is, you're not, I don't know where this resentment comes from or the idea that because somebody else has more than me, I should not like them. I don't really, you know, do you really care what other people have? I don't care what other people have. You know, now that I, I, I was poor in my life and I, and I have money now in my life, it's a lot easier when you have money. Money is freedom. But I still don't, I, I still never will buy myself a Rolex watch. I buy them for friends, but not for me. I don't want it, the trappings of money in my life. I know people don't believe it, but it's true. Last word. That's right, Sean. And, you know, the fact that the wealthy people help out all these other organizations is a true form of we the people, for the people, by the people, you know? One of the coolest things when you have extra money is you get to be generous to other people. I love that part. And you will be. And you will be. I try to be. I do. Isn't it better if I I say, I'm going to take 33% of your money, or should I say, Sean, do you think you could... Give us some of your money. <laughs> you you know, I had this debate. I have a hard time. The, the Catholic Church really turned me against formal churches, and I'm like a non-denominational Christian. And somebody talked to me recently. We had a discussion about tithing, and I'm like, yeah, I believe in tithing, but it doesn't have to be through the church. And then this person was telling me how not biblical I am, and I said, no, but I'll give at least that, usually more, to the people that I run into in my life that when I see a need. And if I see a need, I step up. It's not that complicated. And it's my great pleasure when, I, when I'm able to do that. All right, I got to roll, though. Thanks, Mike. Don, Lake Ronkonkoma, what's up, my brother? How are you? Hey, Sean, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you, buddy. You know, isn't it amazing how we're learning today how uh, half of the China COVID-19 pandemic relief has been stolen? Because, uh, yeah, and it's, 400 billion. Yeah, because of unemployment fraud. 400 billion. And by yeah. the way, if we ever got down to, I called my accountant very early on, and I said, I said a couple of things. I won't tell everything I said, but one of the things I said, any, any company I have control over, I'm not taking a dime. Yep. I ain't done. You're going to laugh at this. You know all those checks they were handing? They actually sent them to me. Yeah. <laughs> they, sent, they sent me the, the what, $1,400 check and the two $600 checks, and I'm like, don't I, cash it. I got a check, and my, both my, my daughter and her husband were laid off. So it went to them. But this, yeah. but this, uh, this unemployment and also the uh, rise in inflation that we're seeing now. It, it, me, it's, it's bad, Don. You, you know, we've, we've watched this over the years. We've been friends for a long time. Oh, yeah. And I will tell you, 
you know, I, I know this sounds nuts, and some of some people are going to be saying, "Hannity, you're, you're just you don't know what you're talking about." Now, I do have a few friends that have retired and they've done so and, and transitioned perfectly. Most people that I know, though, when they stop working, they don't know what the hell to do with themselves. Everybody that knows me well fears that I'm going to stop working one day. <laughs> they just do. They don't want to be around me that much. And you, said, you know, I've been a workaholic my entire adult life. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to. I'm a workaholic. These, these costs that the Biden administration are costing us is, a, is really incredible. And it, it can all go back to the cu- cutting off of that Keystone pipeline, giving it to the Russians, this border crisis that uh, Kamala Harris refuses to go to. And, Sean, my friend, I'm going to tell you something. We have no idea what uh, President Biden's going to spend in Europe this week. Oh, good grief. God only knows. We don't I, know. I, what I, that, you know, what Putin may, may do it publicly, may not. He is going to eat. Joe's lunch, sippy cups lunch. And I tell you, the first thing he's going to do is going to walk out of that meeting with his comrades. They're going to look at each other and they're going to like go, wow, this guy is a weak mess. It's a, I, I'm going to be honest. It's, I find it embarrassing. I find that this president can barely hold the thought together. Embarrassing. We I f- have a president, Jill Biden. Yeah. Right. With the brief, with the briefing book on air force one. Yeah. Yep. Good point. All right, Don, you have a good weekend, okay? You my friend. Enjoy. Quick break right back to our phones. 800-941-SEAN is our number. And when we come back, our friend General Tato will be with us. Uh, how bad is the Putin meeting going to be? And we'll talk about the border, and we'll talk about the, the Iranians and the Chinese and the Russians, and they're you, uniting together.